Hello, friends, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. Sounds, music, and stories for calming, busy minds. A short message for grown-ups. Looking for more calming entertainment at sleep time? Subscribe to Sleep Tight Premium and get access to our complete back catalog of interruption-free bedtime stories, guided meditations, sleep sounds, and sleep music. And special shout-outs for the kids. Visit sleeptightpremium.com to begin your free trial. A link can be found in our show notes. Thank you. Our sleep story tonight is the final episode of The Campfire Girls. Jesse and Amy have written to their father about all they have discovered and have decided to take Henny with them to the farm. When they are ready to go, the boys show up and they all head off. Mark makes a discovery that sets them on a new path. Will they finally find Bertha, the missing girl? Before we continue with our story, let's first make sure you are cozy and comfortable. Turn off the lights, silence notifications, find your comfortable place, your place to relax, or your favorite position in bed. Position your pillows, a teddy, or your other little comforts to make sure that everything feels as it should. Now that you are comfortable, let's take a few moments to relax your body and mind. It's spring where we are, and despite some cold weather and frost, the flowers are starting to grow, and in no time will be in bloom. I love taking time to notice and smell flowers when they are in bloom. So let's pretend together that we have a nice smelling flower in one hand and a dandelion in the other. A dandelion is the flower that has all the fuzzy stuff at the top that when you blow on it, it will fly off into the wind. I would like you to take a great big breath in slowly through your nose and smell the flower. Breathe out slowly through your mouth as you try to blow the seeds off the dandelion. Let's try this together and then you can do it a few times on your own. 
We breathe in slowly through our nose as we smell the flower. And breathe out slowly through your mouth as you try to blow the seeds off the dandelion. Great. Now repeat this a few times on your own. Let's finish this letter to Daddy, Jesse said hastily, and then, oh, Amy Drew, I have an idea. Another idea, cried her friend. I don't know whether there is anything in it or not, but listen. Don't you think we might get Henrietta? Take her over to the Gandhi place and look around again for Bertha? Well, I admit that kid has got sharp eyes. But how could she see into those buildings that are all shut up any better than we could when we were over there? You don't just get my idea. If the girl who radioed her message, and which we heard is Henrietta's cousin, she will know Henrietta's voice. And if Henrietta calls her from outside, maybe she can shout and we will hear her. That is an idea, exclaimed Amy. It might work at that. Then she laughed. Anyway, we can give Hen a ride. Hen certainly likes riding in an automobile. And Nell has got an almost new dress and other things for her. Let us go down to the parsonage and get them. And while Chapman goes to town with this letter, we'll paddle around to Dogtown and get Henrietta. Fine, cried Amy and ran home for her hat. A little later, when she had returned from the parsonage with the bundle and the friends were embarked upon the lake, Jessie said, I hope the poor little thing will like the dress that Nell was so kind as to find for her. But to tell the truth, Amy, it seems a little old for Henrietta. Is it a cape coat suit? giggled her friend. It is a little taffeta silk. And Nell said it was cut in a style so disgracefully freakish that she would not let Sally wear it. It was bought at one of those ultra shops on Fifth Avenue where they have styles for children that ape the frocks their big sisters wear. Let's see it 
urged Amy with curiosity. Wait till you see it on Henrietta. There are stockings and a pair of shoes that I hope will fit her. But consider, taffeta silk for a child like Henrietta? There could be no doubt that the girls from Rose Lawn were welcome when they landed at Dogtown and came to the Foley House. The greater number of the village children seemed to have swarmed elsewhere, but little Henrietta was sitting on the steps of the house, holding the next to the youngest Foley in her arms. Shh, she hissed, holding up her finger. He's most gone. When he goes, I'll lay him in that soapbox and cover him with the mosquito netting. Then I can tend to you. The little old-fashioned thing, murmured Amy. Isn't it right, Jess? Jessie understood and nodded. She was glad that Amy showed a certain amount of sympathy for Henrietta and appreciation of her. In a few moments, the child was utterly relaxed, and Henrietta got up and staggered over to the soapbox on wheels and laid the sleeper down upon a pillow. He ought to sleep an hour, said little Henrietta, covering Billy Foley carefully so that the flies could not bite his fat red legs. I ain't got nothing to do now but to sweep out the house, wash the dishes in the sink, clean the clinkers out of the stove, hang out a line of clothes, and make the beds before Mrs. Foley and the baby get back. I can talk to you girls while I'm doing them things. Land's sake, gasped Amy. But Jessie, determined to take matters in her own hands for the time being, Mrs. Foley was not present. She immediately unrolled the bundle of things she had brought, and Henrietta halted on the step of the house, poised as though for flight, her pale eyes gradually growing rounder and rounder. Them ain't for me? If they fit you, or can be made to fit you, said Jessie. <gasps> the poor child, exclaimed Amy softly, taking care that Henrietta should not hear her. Silk, murmured Henrietta, and sat down on the step again, put her arms out widely, and squeezed the silk dress up to her flat little body as though the garment was another baby. Silk, repeated the poor little thing. Miss Jessie, how good you are to me. I never did have a thing made of silk before, except in a hair ribbon, and I never had too many of them. When Mrs. Foley and the baby arrived home, there stood upon the platform at the back door of the house a most amazing figure. She knew every child in Dogtown, and none of them had ever made such an appearance. She almost dropped the baby through amazement. For the love of John Thomas McGuire, burst forth the woman, finally finding her voice. What's happened to that child? Is it an angel she's turned into, or is it an heiress? I don't know. Hen Haney. What's the meaning of this parade? And have you washed the dishes like I told you? 
You must forgive her, Mrs. Foley, Jessie said, coming down to meet the woman and taking the baby from her. Go and see and speak to the child, she whispered. She is so delighted that she has not been able to talk for ten minutes. Then, said Mrs. Foley seriously, the world has come to an end when Hanny can't talk. But she mounted heavily to the platform. Little Henrietta stood there like a wax figure. She dared not move for fear something would happen to her finery. Every individual freckle on her thin, sharp face seemed to shine as though there was some radiance behind it. Absurd as that taffeta dress was, for a child of her age, it seemed to her an armor against all disaster. Nothing bad could happen to her with that dress on, and those silk stockings and the patent-toed shoes and a hat that almost hid the child's features from view. Well, 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 muttered the amazed Mrs. Foley. If anybody had ever told me that you'd have been dressed up like, like a millionaire's kid. When I took you away from your poor mother and brought you out here, hen, to be a playfellow of my little Charlie and Billy and, and, well, anyway, to be a playmate to them. Ha, huh. you never cleaned out the stove grate, did you? She had looked into the kitchen and saw the dishes in the sink and the gaping stove hearth and shook her head. Jessie thought it time to intercede for the little girl. You must forgive her, Mrs. Foley, and blame me. I made her dress up in the things we brought. I was sure you would want to see her in her Sunday clothes. A deep sigh welled up from Henrietta's chest. Am I going to sure enough keep him to wear Sundays? She asked. If Mrs. Foley will let you, said the politic Jessie, you can keep them very carefully. It is really wonderful how well they fit. Sure, said Mrs. Foley. She's better dressed than me own children. But you told us your children were all boys, Amy put in quickly. Ah, but a time like this, I wished I had a daughter, declared the woman, gazing at Henrietta almost tenderly. What a sweet little girl she might be if she had some flesh on her bones and something beside freckles to color her face. Yes, yes. I am awfully glad, Mrs. Foley, said Jessie quickly to see how much you approve of what we have tried to do for Henrietta. So, I am bold enough to ask you to let us take her up to my house overnight. Mumsy wants to see her in these new clothes, and, well, if Mrs. Mumsy, or is it Mr. Mumsy? I don't know. Why, Mumsy is my mother. The like of that now. And she lets you call her that name? Well... There is no understanding, you folks. Ha! So you want to take little Han away from me? Only for overnight. It would be a little vacation for her, you know. 
Mrs. Foley looked back into the kitchen and shook her head. By the look of things, she said, she's been having a vacation right here. Well, she'll be no good for a while anyway, I can see that. Why, she can't much more than speak with them glad rags on her. Come on, said Henrietta, and walked down the steps heading toward the lake. Amy burst into laughter again, and even Mrs. Foley began to grin. She's as ready to go as though you two young ladies was her fairy godmothers. Sure, and maybe tis my own fault. I've been telling her for years about the good little people that me grandmother knew in Ireland, or said she knew, God rest her soul. And she has always been looking for banshees and saints and fairies to appear and whisk her away. She is a princess in disguise that's been charmed by a wicked witch. All them stories and beliefs has kept her contented. She's a good little thing, Mrs. Foley ended, wiping her eyes. Go along with her and tell your Mrs. Mumsy to be good to her. So they got away from Dogtown with flying colors. Henrietta sat, a little silk-clad figure, in the bottom of the canoe and shivered whenever she thought a drop of water might come inboard. She ought to have worn her old clothes in the canoe, Amy suggested, but with dancing eyes. Oh, 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 gasped Henrietta pleadingly. It is going to take dentist's forceps to ever get the child out of that dress, chuckled Jessie. I can see that. They got back to Roselawn in good time for dinner. Chapman had returned from town but had not brought Mr. Norwood home. Jessie's father, it seemed, had left the courtroom early in the afternoon and had gone out of town on some matter connected with the Ellison case. That case, as Jessie and her mother feared, was already in the court. A jury had been decided upon as the defendants, Mrs. Poole and Mrs. Bothwell, had been advised by Mr. McCracken, their lawyer, to demand a jury trial. The plaintiffs would have to get in their witness the next day. If Bertha Blair was ever to help the side of right and truth in this matter, she must be found and brought to court. And we don't know how to find her. If she is hidden away over there at that Gandy farm, how shall we ever find it out for sure? Wailed Jessie. I hoped Daddy would get my letter and come and take charge of the search himself. Your idea of taking Henrietta over there and letting her call Bertha is a good one, declared Amy stubbornly. Aren't you going to do it? Yes, we'll drive over early, but it is only a chance. They could not interest Henrietta and her cousin Bertha that evening, save that she said she hoped Bertha would come and see her before she had to take off the silk dress and the other articles of clothes. She scarcely had any appetite for dinner, although Mumsy and Jessie tried their very best to interest Henrietta in several dishes that were supposed to appeal to a child's palate. Henrietta was polite 
and thanked them, but was not enthusiastic. She found a tall mirror in the drawing room, and every time they missed her, Jessie tiptoed into that long apartment to see Henrietta posing before the glass. The child certainly did enjoy her finery. The suggestion of bedtime only annoyed Henrietta, but finally Jessie took her upstairs and showed her the twin beds in her own room, one of which the visitor was to occupy. And so gradually Henrietta came to the idea that sometime she would have to remove the new clothes. They listened in on the radio that evening until late, using the amplifier and horn that Mr. Norwood had bought. Henrietta could not understand how the voices could come into the room over the outside wires. I'll tell Charlie and his friend about this, she confided to Jessie and Amy. I guess you don't know them, but they are smart. They can rig up one of those wireless thing with wires, I bet. But then the whole of Dogtown will listen in. They finally got Henrietta to bed. She went to sleep with the silk dress hanging over a chair within reach. After Amy had gone home, Jessie went to bed with much more worriment upon her mind than little Henrietta had upon hers. Everybody was astir early about the Norwood and Drew places in Roselawn the next morning. At the former house, Jessie and Henrietta woke everybody. At the Drew place, two old salts, as Amy sleepily called them from her bedroom window, came rambling in from a taxi cab and disturbed the sleep of the family. Where did you leave that marigold? The sister demanded from her window. You boys go off on that yacht, supposedly to stay a year, and get back in 48 hours? Chop it, sis, Derry advised. See if you can get a bite fixed for a couple of started castaways. The engine went dead on us, and we sailed into Bargainot last night, and all hands came home by train. Mark has the laugh on us. Fortunately, the cook was already downstairs, and Amy put on a housecoat and ran down to sit with the boys in the breakfast room and listen to the tales of their adventures. Oh, but, she said after a while, there's been something doing in this neighborhood, too. At least, our neighbors have been doing something. Do you know, Derry, Jess is bound to find the lost girl we were telling you about. Mr. Norwood goes into court today on that Ellison case, and he admits himself that he has very little chance of winning without the testimony of Bertha Blair. Fine name, drawled Derry. Sounds like a movie actress. Let me tell you, Amy said eagerly. She related how she and Jessie had tried to find Bertha after hearing what they believed to be the lost girl's voice out of the air. Derry and Bird listened with increasing wonder. What won't you kids do next? gasped Derry. I wish you wouldn't call us kids, 
complained his sister. When Amy had finished her tale, her brother was quite serious. Particularly was he anxious to help Jesse, for he thought a good deal of his sister's friend. Tell you what, he said, looking at Bird, we'll hang around long enough to ride over to the stock farm with the girls, won't we? What do you think you can do more than what they have already done? asked Bird with some scorn. I have an idea, said Derry Drew slowly. I think it is a good one. It even beats using that little hen for a bait. Listen here. And he proceeded to tell them. Jesse was, of course, delighted to see Derry and Bird in Amy's company when her friend appeared on the Norwood premises after breakfast. Jessie had dressed Henrietta, and the child was preening herself in the sun like a peacock. The boys scarcely recognized her. But she was more than eager to ride along with the others to look for Bertha Blair. As it happened, Jessie did not have to call for Chapman and the Norwood car when the time to go came. Or who should drive up to the house but Mark Stratford? who had come home with Derry and Bird from the yacht cruise and had driven over to Stratford Town in his powerful car. It was a tight fit for the six in the racing car, but they squeezed in and drove out through the Parkville Road while it was still early morning. Meanwhile, Derry had explained his idea to the others, and they were all eager to view the surroundings of the Grandy stock farm. If Bertha is there, she'll know me if I holler. Of course she will, agreed little Henrietta. But she never will know me by looking at me. Never. So she'll have to shut her eyes if she wants to know you, will she, kid? Chuckled Bird. There really did not seem to be any need for the child to call when the party stopped before the closed gate. For there was not any sign of occupancy of either the house or surrounding buildings. The shingled old house offered blank windows to the road like so many sightless eyes. There were no horses in the stables or the windows over the box stalls were all closed. And the tower the girls had marked before seemed deserted as well. Just the same, the voice spoke of the red barn and that silo and those two fallen trees there. Chapman says the trees must have fallen lately. And yet, there isn't an aerial in sight, as we told you, said Jesse. Let's look around, Derry said, jumping out, and Bird and Amy went with him. Mark turned around in the driver's seat to talk with Jesse. You know... It's a funny thing that the girl's name should be Bertha Blair, the young man said. I heard you folks talking about her before, and I said something about it to our Mr. Blair at the factory. He's had a lot of trouble in his family, never had any children, he and his wife, but always wanted them. His younger brother married a girl of whom the Blair family did not approve. Guess she was all right, but came from poor kind of folks. And when the younger Blair died, 
they lost trace of his wife and a baby girl they had. Funny thing, added Mark, that baby's name was Bertha. Bertha Blair. When I told the superintendent something about your looking for such a girl because of a law case, he was much interested. If you go over there again to the sending station, tell the superintendent all about her, Miss Jessie. I certainly will, promised the Roselawn girl, but we haven't even found Bertha yet, and we are not sure she is here. Derry and the others had entered the grounds surrounding the stock farm buildings, and they were gone some time. When they came back, even Amy seemed discouraged. I guess we were fooled, Jess, she said. There is nobody here, not even a caretaker. I guess what we heard over the radio that time was a hoax. I don't believe it, declared Jessie. I just feel that Bertha Blair, little Henrietta's cousin, is somewhere here. And maybe she can't get away, said Henrietta. I'd like to help Bertha get away from that woman. Let's take the kid in and let her call, suggested Bird. Sure you didn't see any aerial, Derry? Mark asked, showing increased interest in the matter. Not a sign, said Derry, shaking his head. That tower? Yes, it would make an ideal station. But I went all around it. I can't see the roof, for it is practically flat. And if what I suggested was there, we will have to get above the level of the roof to see it. Mark suddenly got out and opened his toolbox. He brought forth a pair of line man's climbers. Thought I had him in there. I'll go up that telephone pole and see what I can see. And he began to strap them on. Good as gold, cried Bird admiringly. You have a head on you, young fellow. Yes, said Mark dryly. I was born with it. He proceeded to the tall telegraph pole and swarmed quickly up it. The others waited, watching him as he surveyed the apparently deserted place from the cross piece of the pole. By and by, he came down. It's there, Derry, he said confidently. Your big idea was all to the good. That folding wireless staff you use on the marigold is repeated right on the top of that tower. When they use the sending set, they raise the staff with the antenna, and there you have it. Oh, then she's in the tower, cried Amy. At least, she was in the tower if she sent her message from this station, agreed Derry. How shall we find out? How shall we? cried Amy excitedly. If Mr. Stratford is quite sure that he sees the aerials upon the roof, then I am going to get the tower door open somehow declared Jessie. It is there, Miss Jessie, Mark assured her. Come on, Henrietta, said Jessie, helping the little girl to jump down from the car. We are going to find your cousin Bertha if she is here. You're real nice to be interested in Bertha, said Henrietta. I am interested in her particularly because Daddy needs her, admitted the older girl. Come on now. We'll go up to that tower building and you shout for Bertha just as hard as you can shout. She will know your voice if she doesn't know you in your new dress. 
and she smiled down at the little girl clinging to her hand. It seemed as though if there really was anybody left in charge of the Gandhi house and premises, such a caretaker would have appeared before this to demand of the party of young folks from Roselawn what they wanted. As Jessie walked up the lane with little Henrietta by the hand and followed by Derry, she saw no person at the window or door. The tower might have been abandoned years before as far as appearance went, but Mark's discovery seemed to make it plain that the tower was sometimes in use. Jessie noted that the tower stood on a hill behind the house from which vantage the racetrack some quarter of a mile away might be seen. With good field glasses, one might stand in the second story of the tower and see the horses racing on the track. Then, if there was a sending radio set in the tower, the reports of races could be broadcasted in secret code to sets tuned to the one in the tower. The question now was, had Bertha stolen her way into the tower at that time? Evidently, Martha Poole and Sadie Bothwell were determined to hold the girl until after the court had settled in their favor, the Ellison Will case. Jessie and those with her came to the foot of the tower. All the lower windows were boarded up and the door was tightly closed. There were shades at the upper windows and they fitted tightly. You call Bertha, said Jessie. Tell her we've come to let her out. Shout for Bertha, Henrietta, commanded Jessie. Immediately, the little girl set up a yell that, as Bird declared, could have scarcely been equaled by a steam whistle. Bertha! Bertha! Come out and see my new dress! That invitation certainly delighted Amy and Bird. They sat in the car and clung to each other while they laughed. Little Henrietta's face got rosy red while she shouted, and she was very much in earnest. Bertha, Bertha, don't you hear me? I got a new dress, and we've come to take you home, Bertha. Suddenly, the lower door of the tower opened a crack. An old, old woman, and not at all a pleasant-looking woman, appeared in the crack. What you want? she demanded. Go away. Martha Poole didn't send you here. Jessie spoke up quickly. We've come to see Bertha. This is her little cousin. You won't refuse to let her see Bertha, will you? There ain't nobody here but a sick girl, and she ain't to be let out. I guess that is what's the matter with you, said Derry. He had come nearer, and now, before the woman could shut the door, he thrust his foot between it and the jam. We are going to see Bertha Blair out of the way. He thrust the door open. They heard a muffled voice calling from upstairs. Little Henrietta flashed by the guardian of the tower and darted upstairs. Bertha, Bertha, I'm coming, Bertha. I got a new dress. You better go up and see what's doing, Jess, said Derry. I'll keep this woman down here. Jessie was giggling, although it was from nervousness. 
Jessie found a door open at the top of the flight. Henrietta was chattering at top speed somewhere ahead. The rooms were dark, but when Jessie found the room in which Henrietta was, she likewise found a girl in a chair. Here's Bertha, here's Bertha, cried Henrietta eagerly. Jessie had the girl free in half a minute. She saw then that this was the girl she and Amy had seen on Dogtown Lane. Oh, miss, is this little Henny, and have you come to take me away, gasped Bertha. Surely. Are you Bertha Blair? Yes, ma'am. Henny calls me Bertha Haney, for I lived with her mother after my mother died, but my name's Blair. My father is Robert Norwood, the lawyer, said Jessie swiftly. He wants you to testify in court about what you heard when the old man made his will at Mrs. Poole's house. Oh, you mean Mr. Abel Ellison? A gentleman came and asked me about that once, and then Mrs. Poole said I gotta keep my mouth closed about it or she'd put me away somewheres. So I ran away from her, said Bertha, and tried to go to Dogtown and see Henny and the Foley's. Why? Wasn't you one of the girls, miss, that saw Mrs. Poole putting me into that car? Yes, sighed Jessie. I saw it, but couldn't stop it. Well, they brought me right out here, and I've been here ever since. When Mrs. Poole isn't here, that old woman comes and keeps me from running away. But once, Jessie suggested, you had a chance to try and send out a cry for help. There's a radio here. They used it one night. And I tried to call for help over it, but they heard me and stopped it. But we heard you. Come, Bertha, we will get you away from here before Mrs. Poole comes, and we must take you to the city to see my father at once. As they left the tower and the old woman, they heard the latter calling a number into the telephone receiver. She was probably trying to report to Mrs. Poole. But the woman will never dare call the police, Derry assured Jessie. You tell your father all about it, and he'll know what to do. And we must see Daddy Norwood as soon as possible, the girl said. I must take Bertha to him. The case is already in court. I'll fix that for you, Miss Jessie, Mark said. I can get you to town just as quickly as the traffic cops will let me. And they are all my friends. Jessie and Bertha Blair had never ridden so fast before. Mark Stratford knew his car well and coaxed it over the well-oiled roads of Westchester at a speed to make anybody gasp. But haste was necessary. They knew where the court was and they arrived there just after the noon recess. Mrs. Norwood had reached her husband's chief clerk by telephone and had communicated the news to the lawyer. Mr. Norwood had dragged along the prosecution until the missing witness arrived. Then he introduced Bertha Blair into the witness chair most unexpectedly to Mr. McCracken and his clients. If Mr. Norwood's side of the argument needed any help, this was supplied when Bertha was allowed to tell her story. The judge even advised the girls, or her guardians if she had any, that she had a pretty good civil case against Martha Poole for keeping her in the tower on the Gandy farm. 
These matters, however, did not interest Jessie Norwood and her friends much. They had been able to assist Mr. Norwood in an important legal case. And naturally, everybody, both old and young, was interested in Bertha Blair. Mumsy said she would put on her thinking cap about Bertha's future. Meanwhile, Bertha and little Henrietta went back to the Foley's for a while. Henrietta was bound to be the most important person of her age in all of Dogtown. What Mark Stratford had said to Jesse about Superintendent Blair kept recurring to the Rose Lawn girl, and she felt that she should tell the man who had charge of the Stratford Electric Company radio program about the girl who had been rescued. I wonder what they'll do about Bertha, came from Derry. She certainly had an adventure, observed Bird. Maybe the movie people will want her. They often pick up people like that who have been in the limelight. I don't think Mumsy will allow anything of the sort, returned Jessie. I am sure she and Daddy will think up something better. Suddenly, Amy, who had been resting comfortably in the porch hammock, leaped to her feet. I declare, I forgot, she cried. Forgot what? came in a chorus from the others. Forgot that special concert today, the one to be given over the radio by that noted French soprano. You know who I mean, the one with the unpronounceable name. Oh, yes, said Jessie. Let me see. What time was it? She consulted her wristwatch. I declare it starts in five minutes. Then come on and tune in. I've been thinking about that concert ever since it was advertised. Will you boys come along? Might as well, answered Derry. We haven't anything else to do. And I like a good singer, added Bird. In another moment, all were trooping up to Jessie's pretty room, where she had her receiving set. The necessary tuning in was soon accomplished, and in a minute more, all were listening to a song from one of the favorite operas, rendered as only a great singer can render it. And here, for the time being, we will say goodbye to the radio girls of Roselawn. And that is the end of this story. Good night. Sleep tight. <laughs>